You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. This is called A Bigger Life because I really have a desire to help all of us live into the bigger story of the gospel. I think too often we've gotten bogged down with little subplots and little bedrooms of interest that get us off track of what the bigger story is. And we get into these debates about this and that because we're losing perspective. So today I want to focus on a chapter in the Bible that is the bigger story. It is what Paul comes back to when he's dealing with the Corinthians in this book, 1 Corinthians. Let me just reemphasize that 1 Corinthians is one of the core four epistles that nobody, no biblical scholar, whether you're a skeptical biblical scholar, non-Christian biblical scholar, or whether you're a believing biblical scholar, none of them on any any place on that scale will question that Paul authentically wrote 1 Corinthians along with Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. And so when we read 1 Corinthians, we're definitely reading something written by Paul and probably around 20 years after the life of Jesus. So I don't know what you think about the New Testament. Everybody has different views. My view is it's authentically apostolic. The apostles wrote it or the band of the apostles like Mark and Luke wrote their gospels, but they were part of the traveling companion ship of the apostles writing on behalf of the apostles, much of their gospel. But when we read first Corinthians 15, we are reading something that is written by somebody named Paul about 20 years after the life of Jesus, death of Jesus and the claimed resurrection of Jesus. So we're not reading some myth that was developed hundreds of years later. We're reading somebody's account. And that helps me realize that I have to decide what I'm going to believe about this. This is the witness. This is the testimony of somebody who is claiming to have seen Jesus rise from the dead and also claiming to be a part of a bigger story because of that. And so 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of its own little unit. It's like a little sermon almost. It's an essay, maybe, perhaps, however you like to think about these things. It's its own little capsule thought that is within 1 Corinthians. It relates to all the things he's talking about, but it's kind of its own thing saying, look, this is the gospel. You've been misled. You're straying away from it. You're, you're focusing on other things, but this is the big it. So I want to use this podcast today to talk about the big it that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read some highlights. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Can't do that. But I want to read some highlights that I think are really important for us to discuss. It begins in verse 1 where he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. This is the good news that I preached to you. I want to remind you. You've, you've gotten away from it. Let's get back to it. I want to remind you this has been always what I've been saying to you. By this gospel, verse 2 you are saved. And that word saved in the language Paul is writing in doesn't just mean the kind of thing that we think of 2,000 years later when we think of the word saved. We kind of think of it in 
in terms of believing in Jesus to have your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's not at all what Paul's thinking about when he's using that word saved. It's a word that means healed, restored. And so it's a bigger picture, and it's not certainly talking about going to heaven when we die. We'll see that that's very clear in this chapter. But it's talking about being restored to what God intends for us to be. By this gospel, you are healed, you are restored, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, if you stray away from it, and I'm adding to this now, if you stray away from it, then this is no longer a faith that saves you. Because he says, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, the first thing out of somebody's mouth when we read that verse by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. The first thing people say is, well, I thought it was once saved, always saved. You mean I can lose my salvation? And I think that's just sort of a wrong way to ask the question. I think the right way to ask the question is not once saved, always saved, but if saved, always saved. That's what Paul is saying here. Look, if you have a saving faith, if you really believe the gospel, then you're going to hold firmly to the end. If you don't, you believed in vain. You had, a, you had a belief, but it was a different kind of belief. It wasn't really a belief in the gospel. And then he says in verse 3, for, this is the gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That here it is, that Christ died for our sins. So Jesus died so that we could have forgiveness of sins. He died as a sacrifice for our sins, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he said. Now, when Paul says according to the scriptures, he's talking about what we call the Old Testament. He's talking about Christ died for our sins, just as the Old Testament had prophesied in all kinds of places. Verse four, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Again, he's saying that this has been prophesied in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has always been about Christ, his death for our sins, his resurrection. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Cephas was his Hebrew name, Aramaic name. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living. The idea there is if you don't believe me, then ask them. Most of them are, are still alive, the 500 people who saw him at once. But then he says, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. That's the half-brother of Jesus, who was somebody who thought Jesus was crazy during Jesus' earthly life. But what changed his mind, and James became an author of the New Testament himself, a leader in the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection, is because Jesus appeared to James. If you saw your half-brother that you grew up with die, and then three days later or two days later, however many, many days later he had took a, to appear to James, if he appeared to you in a resurrected body, you would become a believer too. That's what happened to James. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Here's what Paul's saying. Look, I, he appeared to me, he appeared to James, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive. You can ask them. He appeared to all the apostles, and he appeared to the 12. So I think Paul saw the band of apostles as bigger than just the 12, and he appeared specifically first to Peter. 
Paul is saying this has been the gospel. Christ died for our sins and he was raised. This is the good news. He's Christ. He's king. He's the resurrected king. His kingdom is coming. And then Paul says in verse 9, I'm the least of the apostles. Do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is one of Paul's autobiographical accounts of him being a persecutor of the church. We know the story. Jesus appeared to him, caused a sudden change. He says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, I've changed is because of God's grace. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, I'm doing exactly what he called me to do by his grace. And so Paul says in verse 11, whether then it is I or they, he's talking about the other apostles, this is what we preach. He's saying his gospel is the same as the gospel of all the other apostles. It's the same message that Christ died for our sins. It's the same message that he rose from the dead and he appeared to us. And Peter and Paul are in agreement. We can read Peter talking about Paul's letter in Second Peter 3, I think 15, maybe 16. Peter is referring to Paul's letter as scripture. So Peter is in his own letters vouching for Paul. Here Paul is vouching for Peter and the apostles, they're all proclaiming the same message, the same gospel. It's a gospel that you are saved by if you hold firmly to it. Otherwise, you believed in vain. It all comes back to this gospel. And so here's what he says in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ, King Jesus, he raised Christ from the dead. We've all been having the same message. We have testified what we saw. We've testified to what we saw. We saw Christ raised from the dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is nothing. It's useless. It's absolutely worthless. And your faith is in the gospel is absolutely worthless. And we are false witnesses. We're liars about God and we're false witnesses about his resurrection. So Paul's making it very clear here. Look, either we're telling you the truth or we're not. All of us are either telling you the same truth or we are all lying. If we're lying, then your faith is absolutely worthless. Our message is absolutely worthless. There's nothing good in it. But if we're telling the truth, Well, then you should believe all of it. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's empty. It's worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. They're they're gone. They're dead. They just died and they're gone forever. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here's what he's saying. Look, It's not just that your faith is in vain, your faith is useless, your faith is worthless if Christ didn't rise from the dead. It's not just that we are absolutely liars and false witnesses if Christ did not rise from the dead. You should not believe anything we say if Christ did not rise from the dead. But he's also saying not only is your faith futile if Christ didn't rise from the dead, but everybody who's died who believed in Christ is gone. They're, they're going to be ash. There's no purpose to their life. It's, it's all nothing. So he says in verse 20, 
but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now he can say that with confidence because he saw him. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first of the new creation. He's the first of the resurrection that's going to be true of all of those in Christ. He's the first of the restored renewal of everything. That's why he's called the first fruits. His resurrection has already begun what's going to happen everywhere. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, he's talking now about the Genesis account in, in chapter three of Adam and Eve sinning, and it brought death, thorns and thistles and dust and death to the human condition. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So that what he's saying is we, we are all dying because of the sin of Adam. And because of the resurrection of Christ, those who are in Christ, our, our, our resurrection comes just like death came through Adam. Resurrection comes through Christ. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now he's talking here about all in Christ because let's not forget verse one and two. It's by this gospel that we preach to you that you are saved if you hold firmly to it. Otherwise you've believed in vain. So he's not saying here that everybody ultimately is going to be made alive in Christ. He's talking about everybody in Christ will be made alive. His point here though, and that is, is that in Christ is the same thing as like being in Adam. In Adam, we all are born into this exiled human condition. And Paul is saying those in Christ will be saved in the sense that they will be resurrected into a new world. Verse 23, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, he's the first. Then when he comes, when he returns, those who, those who belong to him will have a resurrection as well. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Remember what Jesus said to Paul when he appeared to him in his glorified risen state. In Acts 26, verse 18, he says, this is why I'm sending you as a witness. This is why I've appeared to you. I'm sending you to the nations to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. So Paul's never forgotten it. So he's saying, look, ultimately this is what's going to happen. Jesus is taking back from the dominion of Satan, the earth and humankind, and he's building his kingdom back on earth again. So remember, Paul was saying, look, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, none of this is true. Everything we say is useless, worthless. Nothing we say is going to ultimately be helpful. And we of all people are most to be pitied. We're not only liars, but we're fools. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, he says, but Christ indeed did rise from the dead. But he comes back to it again and he says, look, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, he says in verse 30, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Faced, I face death every day, he says. Verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, we're just all living to die. If the dead are not raised, 
those who die are gone forever and we are all just living to die and everything we do, no matter what we do, comes to nothing. There's no purpose. We just eat and drink and die. And that is the end. And there's no reason why I fought the beast in Ephesus. There's nothing to be gained by it unless there's a resurrection. Paul is convinced that because Jesus rose from the dead, Paul is convinced that the gospel is true, that everything Jesus said, therefore, is true. And therefore, he's going to have a resurrection in Christ, just like all those in Christ. And therefore, it matters that he fought the wild beasts and has suffered as an apostle to be a witness of Jesus's resurrection. None of that has been in vain. All of it matters. And so he says in verse 33, so do not be misled. Now, here's what I want to say. Don't be misled. Don't get your eyes off the bigger story. Don't get your eyes off the real reason why you want to follow Christ. And that's because Christ rose from the dead. You believe the witness of Paul. You believe the witness of Peter. You believe the witness of James. You believe the witness of the apostles. That's why they suffered. That's why they fought wild beasts. That's why they suffered every day, Paul says, every hour, because they were uncompromisingly convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Don't be misled into these other tangents that get you off and start causing you to doubt whether or not it's worth it to follow Jesus. Paul is saying, look, if it's not worth following Jesus, then nothing is worth anything because all there is is death. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, nothing is worth anything. It all comes down to Jesus' resurrection. Now, Paul talks about this resurrection in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Verse 37, he gives an analogy. When you farm, when you sow, when you plant seeds, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. In other words, Paul's saying, look, when you plant a piece of wheat seed, you're going to get a wheat plant. When you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. So when you God plants your body in the sense that he says that what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you die, Paul is saying, you're kind of like a seed, and God's going to bring about a plant that he has designed for your body to be. There's continuity and discontinuity. It's like I think of a caterpillar versus a butterfly. What you are now is like a caterpillar. There's function, there's life. Caterpillars aren't worms, they're kind of cute. You're kind of cute, but you're gonna be a butterfly at the resurrection. Glory, beauty, and, and a, the true purpose of what God intends for your body to be. So he says in verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's like a seed planted in the ground, perishable. It's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. In other words, there's a life to it that is spiritual. It's animated by the spiritual. Verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Christ is going to give spiritual life to your body, 
It's not a spiritual body in the sense that it's not physical. It's physical and spiritual. It's going to have this, well, if there's a metaphor of shining like the sun in the kingdom of your father that Jesus says in Matthew 13, 43, there's a certain spiritual glory to our body that's risen from the dead that we don't see right now. It's a life animated by the spirit of God, a life that's animated by the spiritual world and involved in the spiritual world. And so he says in verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We're going to be transformed, he's saying, in the same image of the glorious resurrected Jesus. It's like a caterpillar to a butterfly. So he says in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, you're going to have to receive the life-giving power of Jesus to have this resurrection. It doesn't come naturally. It comes only in Christ. So Paul says in verse 52, here's what's going to happen. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now that's a metaphor, the last trumpet being that when Christ comes back. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Then the saying that is written will come true. I'm in verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So Paul's saying, here's what our resurrection of the dead is going to be like, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's going to be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. It's sown just a natural body. It's going to be raised also a spiritual body. And it's going to happen when Christ comes back. And then death has been swallowed up forever. So verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the bigger story that your life is in. Don't be misled. Let nothing move you. Stand firm. Hold your faith to the end. The gospel, the good news we preach to you, Paul says, of Jesus dying for our sins, the good news of Jesus rising from the dead is true. I saw him, Peter saw him, the 12 apostles saw him, all the apostles saw him, 500 people saw him at the same time. James, his, James, his brother, saw him. You can ask them. It's true. It's real. Don't let anybody mislead you. If Christ hasn't been raised, your life is worthless anyway. Our preaching is worthless. We're liars. We're false witnesses. But I can promise you, we are not. We are telling you the truth. So you can put all your money down. You can go all in. You can buy in 100%. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't let yourself be misled. Don't let your faith so far be in vain. This is the bigger story. Everything in your life is about this bigger story. It's about resurrection. It's not about death. It's about resurrection. A resurrected world, a resurrected body, a resurrected earth when Christ comes back. And Christ is the first fruits of this new world. And you are in it if you are in Christ.
That's the bigger story. So everything you do matters. Every work you do on behalf of Christ is not in vain. So give yourself fully to this story, fully to working toward that which matters in the resurrection. Your relationships, your work, how you image God, how you exercise the fruits of the Spirit, how you work to build the kingdom of God in all the ways that God has you in whatever station in life he has you in, things you do to help people see the kingdom of God in you. All matters. It's not in vain. So when Paul says, therefore, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's not just talking about what we think of when we think of work. Works in the Bible has more to do with our lifestyle, our deeds, the way that we're serving Christ. And that is through our decisions of obedience. That's through our, you know, fighting against sin in our lives. And so what Paul's saying here is everything he's been talking about in 1 Corinthians when it comes to divisions and um, conflicts and dealing with sexuality issues and dealing with faithfulness in marriage issues and dealing with our giving to Christ of our finances and dealing with serving Christ with our time, whatever it is in all these ways that we live a sanctified life, we live a life that's being healed and restored to the image of what Christ is and who Christ is, that in all of that work, we're, we're, these are hard choices sometimes. To, to not give in to certain temptations is to live by the promise of the resurrection. To not give in to the cultural inertia when it comes to conflict and how we handle conflict or how we handle our money, how we th- see our money as our own rather than being generous in giving not giving in to the the cultural spirit of just moving on from marriage because you deserve to be happy in your mind and so you're going to divorce and 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 go with somebody else these are all these are all the cultural norms but Paul's saying look if you believe in the resurrection live by the resurrection live by the promise of the resurrection so stand firm don't let anybody move you because your faithfulness is not in vain. You are in a bigger story. Don't get fooled into only seeing this smaller story. You are in a bigger story. You're in a story of resurrection. So stand firm in it. Live in it. You're, it's not going to be in vain. Don't let anybody mislead you. And so don't let yourself be moved by getting off on tangents. Sometimes it's easy to get off on tangents and think through or argue about whether or not God exists or whether or not the Bible is, you know, all true everywhere in its earliest chapters. I mean, those are always discussions worth having and knowing about, but they are not the crux of the issue. The crux of the issue is whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because if he did, it's all true. Jesus is true. Everything Jesus taught is true. If he didn't, none of it's true. None of it's important. And you should move on and just when when you die, you die. But it's one or the other. But it all comes down to the resurrection. That's the main thing. That's the big thing. It ultimately is the only thing. That's what Paul says. And that's what I have found to be true in my life. Rather than getting caught up in all these other tangents, 
It all comes down to whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the bigger story that your life is in if he did. And if he didn't, then your life is small and all of our lives are small and nothing matters. That's what Paul says. And that's the absolute truth. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to pray a few ideas in this because I think there are some important things Paul says that are important for us to pray. And the reason why we pray is because that is the ultimate act of faith. The ultimate act of faith is prayer because we are connecting with God. We are approaching the God that Jesus talked about that he wants us to pray to as our Father in heaven. And so we are learning to do that. And we are learning to do that by praying certain phrases in Scripture as our prayer. And so there's a couple phrases, a few phrases in this chapter that I think are good phrases for us to pray as spirit-inspired scripture in our prayer. And they're phrases that we can learn to kind of repeat in prayer from time to time. Let me lead you in a time to do that right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given me good news. I thank you that you've given me the good news of your gospel that saves my life, that restores my life, that brings my life from dust to glory, that brings my life from dead to life, that brings my life from perishable to imperishable, that brings my life from just purely earthly dust, natural to alive spiritually in glory, imperishable, in power, and I thank you that you have saved my life by sending Jesus, by becoming human in the person of Jesus, dying for my sins, raising to give me life. This is the good news that you have sent your apostles as witnesses. They have written this. Paul has written this, and it is words that I can read 2,000 years later, and by them you save me. By your grace, you save me. By your good news, you save me. And so I want to hold firm to this. I don't want to be misled. I want to hold firm to this gospel. I don't want my belief to be in vain, but I want my belief to be a belief that saves because I'm believing in you, your resurrection, your death, your lordship, Paul says in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But he says Christ has indeed been raised. In verse 20, And therefore I am not still in my sins. My sins are wiped out. My sins are forgiven. My sins are taken away because Christ has been raised. I am not in my sins. And I give thanks to you, Father, that you have forgiven all of my sins. You have forgiven me. You have wiped out my sins. You have washed me. You have purified me. And you have given me a righteousness that is Christ's righteousness and a resurrected glory because of his resurrection. Indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead. And therefore, indeed, I am not still in my sins. And I give thanks to you for that. In Christ, I have been made alive. In Christ, I am not in my sins. In Christ, I have a resurrection from the dead that is promised. 
and guaranteed because Christ is the first fruits. It has already happened. The new creation has already begun. And this is the story my life is in. I am in Christ and I am part of this new creation in Christ. And so I will have a resurrection from the dead, a body that will be sown, perishable will be raised, imperishable, unable to die, imperishable, somehow living forever, somehow able to fight off disease, somehow able to be restored when it's damaged, somehow imperishable. I don't understand it. I can't answer the questions. But because Jesus has been raised from the dead, this is true. This is the gospel. A body that will be sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. I don't know what that glory will look like. I don't know what that glory will be. There are phrases Jesus said, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I don't know what all that means. But Paul says that our bodies, our lowly bodies in Philippians 3, 20, 21 will be transformed, he says, to be like Christ's glorious body. He saw Christ's glorious body that made the sun look dull in comparison. I don't know what all this means, but I will have a body raised in glory. And I give thanks to you that this is the story I'm in. And I want to live my life now with the truth of that. The truth of the glory that you have restored, that you will restore in me, is a glory that I live in now because of this promise, because this is guaranteed. It's already good as done. And so Paul says in Romans 8.30 that I have already been glorified, already been glorified in Christ because it's going to happen. It's as as, as good as done. A body that is sown in weakness will be raised in power. A body of power. I think of Jesus and the power he had to calm the storm and to heal the sick. I don't know what that means in regard to my body of power, but I know that's the power Jesus had. And if he is the true human, maybe that's something about the body of power I will have. I don't know. But you will give me power to accomplish the task that you will have for me on a restored earth in the renewal of all things, in a body that is imperishable, a body that is raised in glory, a body that is raised in power. And so I rejoice in your grace that you have saved me. I don't deserve it. I rejoice in your grace that you came to die to forgive me of my sins, to remove my sins. I don't deserve it. It's by your grace that I have this promise of a body imperishable, a body in glory, a body in power, and a body that is spiritual, that I'll be able to see the spirit world and see you and be animated by you in full bodily form, just like Jesus when he was on earth, filled with your Holy Spirit. There'll be something about my resurrection body even beyond that that will be spiritual in some way, spiritually alive, in power, in glory, imperishable, and yet fully physical, just like Jesus' resurrected body. I thank you, God, that you have brought me into this story by nothing I've done, but by everything you've done, your great love for me. I don't understand it, but you have proven it by your death and your resurrection for me. Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
You have already done it. You have already died. You have already risen from the dead in Jesus. And now how will you not also with that graciously give me all things? I don't know what that means, but somehow your promise is that I am already glorified in Christ according to Romans 8.30. I am already a possessor of all things as a co-heir with Christ according to Romans 8. Somehow you're going to give me all all things in Christ because you have already done it. You have already died to take away my sins. You have already risen from the dead to give me a body imperishable, a body in power, a body in glory, a body that is spiritual. You have already done what is needed to give me all things because of your love for me. And I give thanks to you, but all of this is undeserved. All of this, I don't deserve any of it. I deserve the opposite. I deserve your judgment. I deserve to be left out. I deserve to die and become dust. But you have done it. You have finished what needs to be done to give me all things because of your love for me, because of your ununderstandable, incomprehensible grace toward me in Christ. So I want to hold fast to this gospel. I don't want to allow myself to be misled I want to stand firm. I want to let nothing move me away from this gospel. I want to continue to trust your word and to trust your gospel and to always give myself fully to working for you, living for you, letting your Holy Spirit show others the kingdom of God through love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Because I know none of this is in vain. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, this is my guaranteed future. It's already in play. It's already happened. It's already happening. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, the first fruits of what is to come. I give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.